so I like a good action movie as much as the next guy. Sometimes you just can't beat a movie with more explosions than words. And, you know, why is that? What, what appeals to us? Action movies have many common themes, and, and this is part of what appeals to us. Themes like the victory of the underdog, justice for the bad guy, or just plain good defeating evil. One of my favorite themes, though, is the unexpected reinforcements. This may bring to your mind some of your favorite movies. Uh, This uh, unexpected reinforcements is when a a hero is surrounded by the enemy, about to lose the battle, and then off in the distance, the reinforcements appear out of nowhere and save the day. It's a surefire way to send a chill right up your spine. Oftentimes in our lives, we feel like our enemies are closing in on us. Maybe it's our boss or a competitor or a neighbor, or maybe it's stress or the fear of failure or temptation to sin. We feel the pressure of the attack and we're looking for those reinforcements, waiting for them to arrive and save the day. So this evening, we're going to consider a passage from Revelation that is set in the midst of the ultimate threat of destruction, God's judgment in the final days. But we see that God provides protection in the form of a savior who seals those who are threatened and protects them from this judgment. Unlike action movies, though, this is not just a protection against a single threat. It is against all enemies. It is not a temporary salvation. It's eternal. It's not uncertain or unexpected. It is promised and absolute. And it is not a fictional account. It is real. So if action movies give you chills, this passage should even more. The verses we'll be looking at are found in Revelation chapter 7. Uh, In the Bibles around you, you can find this on page 1031. Let's turn there now and look at chapter 7, verses 1 through 8. We'll be focusing on verses 4 through 8, but I'm going to start reading at, at verse 1 to provide some important context that we'll also be considering. Revelation chapter 7, verses 1 through 8. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God, And he called out with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000, sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. 
12,000 from the tribe of Judah were sealed. 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben. 12,000 from the tribe of Gad. 12,000 from the tribe of Asher. 12,000 from the tribe of Naphtali. 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh. 12,000 from the tribe of Simeon. 12,000 from the tribe of Levi. 12,000 from the tribe of Issachar. 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulun. 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph. 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin were sealed. So before we begin studying this passage, let's take a, a step back and quickly look at where we are in the book of Revelation. There's a lot that happens in this book, but for now it's important to just understand the general context to see where we are. The core of the book of Revelation is comprised of four groups of seven messages or visions. Seven letters to churches, seven seals on a scroll, seven trumpets, and seven bowls of wrath. Chapter 7, what we're studying here, falls within the seven seals on a scroll. So if we back up a bit, in chapters 4 and 5, John records a vision of the Lamb who is slain, or Jesus, given a scroll that contains an account of the coming judgments of the end times. The scroll is sealed with seven seals, and the opening of each seal describes in more detail elements of the coming judgment and destruction. Chapter 6 ends with the opening of the sixth seal, where John sees extreme destruction unleashed on the earth, including the, st the stars and sky falling to the earth. Now, as you can see, the general setting we're in is one of God's judgment and just destruction. One important thing to understand about the book of Revelation is that it's not strictly chronological. John often presents a vision and then steps back and looks at events again at a different perspective. And in chapter 7, that is what is going on here. John is looking at the coming judgment from the perspective of Christians and his church. So in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 7, right before the passage we are studying, we see four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth. These are winds of destruction. And des describing them as coming from the four corners of the earth signifies complete coverage. Verses 1 and 2 portray the completeness of the pending judgment and destruction. With such complete destruction and far-reaching judgment, we're left to ask, is there any escape? Coming out of chapter 6, where the world experiences massive destruction and judgment, there doesn't seem to be. This is the moment of utter despair in the face of defeat, a moment that calls out for a savior that many action movies tap into. But make no, no mistake, this despair is a very real feeling that many experience even today. The physical, emotional, and spiritual attacks that we feel today may be a shadow of what John is describing in the end times, but the desire for a savior is the same. 
And then, just when the four winds of destruction are right around the corner, we see an angel from the east arise to hold back the pending destruction. The angel from the east commands the forces of destruction and judgment to hold fast until the servants of God have been sealed. And this leads us to the verses that we are studying this evening. The the description of those who are sealed. Let's read verse 4 again. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000, sealed from every tribe and the sons of Israel. On this verse, as well as the list of tribes that follows, we'll consider four questions. First, what does it mean to be sealed? Second, who is doing the sealing? Third, who are those who are sealed? And fourth, why is this important for us today? So first, what does it mean to be sealed? Elsewhere in the Bible, we see that a seal is primarily used in three ways. A seal protects, identifies, and certifies. In Matthew chapter 7, we see the concept of a seal protecting something from tampering. There, we see the guards at Jesus' tomb place a seal on the stone, closing it off and securing it. And this is similar to the concept of placing a seal on an envelope to both ensure that nothing falls out and that the contents haven't been tampered with. Seals are also used to mark ownership or identify the sealed item with someone. In Song of Solomon, chapter 8, we read, The bride say to her beloved, Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. She wants her beloved to identify his heart and actions with her. And finally, seals certify something as authentic. We see this in Esther chapter 3, where King Xerxes seals his decrees with his signet ring. So in verse 4 of what we're studying this evening, those who are sealed are protected from judgment, identified with the sealer, and certified as authentic. Keep these three items in mind and we'll return to them. But this leads to our second question, who is doing the sealing? The answer to that question is made clear in chapter 14 of of Revelation. There, John sees this same group that is identified as sealed here, standing on Mount Zion in the presence of Jesus, the Lamb. That group had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads, Jesus' name and God's name written on their foreheads. So we see clearly that we are looking at a group in chapter 7 who are sealed by Jesus and the Father. They are perfectly and permanently protected by Christ. They are identified with Christ and they are marked as authentic and truly saved by Christ. Moving on to our third question. Who are those who are sealed? Now, as with many passages in Revelation, there's been a healthy debate over a number of years as to the identity of the 144,000. 
Some take the number to be a literal group of individuals arising out of Israel. However, there are several stronger arguments that John is writing about the complete church of believers. For this, it's helpful to compare this list of tribes that we're studying tonight against the lists that we see in the Old Testament, such as the the census we studied this morning in Numbers chapter 1. When we compare it, the first thing we notice is that Jacob's firstborn Reuben is not listed first like he is in Numbers and other lists. Instead, Judah is listed first. The tribe of Judah takes prominence here because Jesus comes from the line of Judah. God's eternal order of believers is led not by the firstborn of man, but by the Lion of Judah, Jesus Christ. The second thing we notice about this list is that the tribe of Dan is missing. In Judges and 1 Kings, we see the tribe of Dan leading the northern kingdom into idolatry. In sealing the church of believers, God is eternally separating believers from those who reject him. The third thing we notice about this list is that there's certain tribes that are elevated in the order. We see that three sons from Jacob's concubines are elevated above the sons of Leah and Rachel. This suggests that those who were previously outside of the covenant privilege are now included. All of these items show that John is describing the church of Christians, or those who believe in Jesus as their Savior and have given their lives up to him. This symbolic and expansive view of the 144,000 is reinforced by the number itself. 144,000 is 12 multiplied by 12 multiplied by 1,000. In the Bible, the, the number 12 signifies completeness. 12 times 12 places additional emphasis on this completeness. And multiplying this number by a thousand powerfully emphasizes the completeness. This is a comprehensive sealing and protection of all of God's people. Not one is lost. Not one is lost. This brings us to our final question. Why is this important for us today? As I mentioned earlier, we all at times feel like the four winds of destruction are closing in on us. Both in the forms of attacks in our daily lives, but also thoughts about what will happen when we leave this earth. We often look around for reinforcements. We all look for and need a protector. We need a savior. Now, for those who have trusted in Jesus as their savior, this passage comes as eternal comfort. God certainly protects us in, way, in many ways in this life, including uncountable ways that we don't even see. In this world, however, Christians still suffer. But this passage shows that Christ seals those who believe in him and trust in him and protects them from the judgment that will lead those who are not sealed to eternal punishment. 
All of God's people are identified with Christ through this seal. All of God's people are authenticated as truly saved. All of God's people are promised this seal of protection. So regardless of what's happening in the world, whatever oppression or opposition faces us, Christians can be confident and joyful that we are eternally saved. Christians will be sealed and protected from judgment and eternal punishment. Not one will be lost. If you're listening to this and you haven't yet placed your trust in Jesus as your Savior, you're still in need of God's eternal seal and protection. So how do you enter the group of those who are sealed? Jesus describes how this seal operates and how we partake in it. I encourage you to listen and follow the words of Jesus. In the Gospel of John, Jesus contrasts himself with the temporal food that sustains us in this life. In John chapter 6, Jesus says, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then the disciples try to figure out just how somebody becomes sealed. They said to Jesus, what must we do to be doing the works of God? At this point, the disciples think they need to save themselves through their works. Jesus then clarifies that it is God who saves. They just need to believe. Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. And then Jesus expands on this. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And then Jesus says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Never cast out. God and Jesus perfectly seal, eternally seal, those who believe and trust in Jesus. We looked at Revelation 7 and the description of those who are sealed. Let's remember tonight that God has promised to seal and protect those who turn from their sin and trust in Jesus. And he has promised that not one will be cast out. Christian, take comfort in this eternal protection and rejoice in this perfect promise. As we take the Lord's Supper together in a few moments, we are expressing our faith in Jesus Christ as the one who saves and seals us. Those who are still searching for everlasting protection and comfort your guaranteed protector, Jesus, is awaiting you. Believe and trust in him. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for providing a way to share eternity with you. Thank you 
for sending your son Jesus to this world to live a perfect and sinless life, to die on the cross for the sins of those who trust in him, and to come to life again, defeating sin and death. Thank you for perfectly and permanently sealing those who turn from their sins and trust in Jesus. Help us remember this promised protection that has the power to save from judgment as we lead our lives this week. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.